Good morning, everyone. And uh, we really had a good time up in the uh, Japanese department. They're doing well up there. And we thank the Lord for our Japanese brothers and sisters for as much as what they put up with us. And we just thank the Lord that we are one church. And the Lord is really doing some wonderful things, I believe, in bringing us closer to each other. This is an amazing day to live in as Christians. We may think that this is a time where Christians are being persecuted or will be persecuted or are in a position to really be vulnerable. And that is true. But we have been studying the book of Revelation. And in this book, more than even, I think, other books of the Bible is very significant for us to focus on and to know and understand it. And that's the only reason why I consented to many of you saying, yes, let's, let's have the book of Revelation as a, a preaching book this year, because I've never done this before in Revelation. But I think that is very timely. It is time for the church to get ready. And we need to prepare ourselves. And the best preparation is to be armed ahead of time for us to really be aware of how are things working out in the world. Mel mentions Israel. Now some of you might say, well, that's just a little tiny country over there. We we hardly even know what it is. Then why is the world so upset about Israel? If it's nothing, don't even talk about it. But if it happens to be something that God is interested in, we better pick up our ears, pray for Israel, and understand what our relationship is to God's overall plan. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. Let me pray. Father, we want to keep our hearts open. We want to keep our eyes open. We want to understand what you are doing in the world today. And so I ask for your anointing again this morning for us, for our ears, for my thoughts and words here this morning, that we would really be in preparation mode as the body of Christ. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel, for those who know you and who are faithful in pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But we pray for your people that they might not harden their hearts, but that they would realize that not just the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, but also Israel are joined together. And we might understand that you're not finished with either Israel or with the church. We count it a privilege to be grafted in to the promises of God's people. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. Amen. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ to the messenger of the church in Thyatira. 
And we have with this a blessing. And I want us to continue to get the attitude to become used to the idea that if we read Revelation, you're getting a blessing. Does that mean you have to understand the whole thing about it? No, not at all. But there are things that as you read it, you will hear, it'll get into your mind, and the words of the prophecy be there for you to heed. And the Holy Spirit can use that in your life as you prepare in your lives, looking forward to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And that could happen before I finish my message this morning. Are you ready? We need to be ready. His time is near. That is his blessing to us. Let's read. Revelation 2, 18 to 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my father and I give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's listen. Our outline is very simple. It's written to the church of Thyatira. It's from the one who knows our hearts best, him who overcomes. This is the fourth letter of the seven churches written by John the Apostle. And these letters are addressed to the leadership, to the angel of the churches. And that is as we learned all along, is the messenger. It's the preacher. It's the one that has the responsibility 
to speak the word to the people. That's what angels are. Well, I'm not a very good angel, but I am a messenger. God has appointed me here as that. I didn't appoint myself, and we'll talk a little bit about this self-appointment later. Preaching, teaching, and leading a church, the gathering of God's people, is a serious calling and responsibility. It is not to be taken lightly. I don't ever want to take this responsibility lightly. Actually, I believe that we can receive all seven of these admonitions to the churches to speak to us today as a gathering of God's people in this place. To the church at Thyatira. Acts 16, 13 to 15 says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. This is Luke talking and writing, but it's uh, talking about Paul. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. Women that were there. Some people think it was a prayer meeting, but it says that they were at the riverside, but Paul wanted to go down there and pray, and this is what happened. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now they were in Philippi, which was actually way across the Aegean Sea in the Roman area. But where she was from was Thyatira, which was in what we call Turkey today. This woman was, I'm not sure whether she was Jewish or not, but she was a business person. She had a business selling purple dyed cloth for making dresses. It was fashionable in those times for the Romans to wear purple. Purple was very much a commodity among those who were well-to-do, and it was fashionable. So this purple cloth was very much in demand. And Thyatira was up in the area of northern Greek in the mountains. And it was kind of curious. There was a plant that they used. It's called a madder plant. That was used to make this purple dye. And so she had come from that village, it was actually a very small town, to the place where Paul was in Philippi, which was a metropolis, and was selling her goods there. And she must have had a pretty big house because she invited Paul and those who were with him to stay in her house. And so that's the connection here. Thyatira, other than that, is really not mentioned that much, so we don't know a lot about Thyatira. There was not a, an epistle written by Paul or anyone else to the church of Thyatira, like Ephesus and Galatia and Colossae and some of those. So Thyatira was really nondescript. But it's very interesting that a church was planted there. And I'm wondering if it was as a result of Lydia 
And I tried to check on some of that historical stuff. And you know, a lot of the historical things that you read about, there's a lot of tradition around it. It's more what people think, but they really don't know. And so I think, and I really don't know, but Thyatira was probably, if not started, but may have been encouraged as a growing church in that mountain area by Lydia. So she was quite a woman. And when we talk about women being evangelists, I would like to encourage you women, and particularly here in Japan, where most of the church, I understand the statistic is about 80% of the church in Japan are women. I would encourage you as women, if you are in a household where you're the only believer, don't give up. We need you there in your household to lead your family, your children, your relatives to the Lord. Be courageous like this lady, Lydia, who latched on to what Paul was preaching and received it. And if she did take it back to her town of Thyatira, bless her. So we're not anti-women, do we understand? Because we're going to talk about another woman this morning. The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. This is a statement that Jesus Christ makes about himself. The Son of God. It's very interesting because this is his title. He is the Son of the living God. The firstborn from the dead. Sent here to bring a people to the Father from all generations. And he, being the Son of God, became the Son of Man. And he stood in our place. And he hung on a cross. And he paid for our debt and made us to be not strangers and aliens, but to be partakers of the salvation plan of God. And so Jesus describes himself as the Son of God. And we'll see why as we move along here. This is the only place in the book of Revelation where he refers to himself as the Son of God. It says that he has eyes like a flame of fire. What does that mean? Well, I don't know whether you grew up with a dad or a mom that when they looked at you, they could just go right through into see what was in your heart. You know, the Lord, when he came, he came to bring us the Father and to show us who the Father really is. And we call him God, Jesus called him Father. And Jesus taught us, call him Father. And the disciples said, show us the Father. And he demonstrated what it was to be in relationship with the Father. So when we pray, we use sometimes the word God or Kami. But that's not so descriptive because there are so many gods. We know that there's 
the one and only true God. But how do we come to him? We come through Jesus Christ, his son. And he says here, the son of God. And pretty soon we're going to be celebrating Christmas, which is probably not on December 25th. But he did come to earth as a babe. And he walked in our shoes. He walked in a life that we can relate to. And he obeyed his father. He was obedient not just to his parents, but also to his heavenly father, the son of man, the son of God, our savior, the one who has brought us together with a righteous God that we could never approach and we could never satisfy him as his sons and daughters without partaking of his flesh and blood that he died for us to redeem us as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, whose eyes are like a flame of fire. Ezekiel 1, 26 and 28, and Daniel 10, 5 to 6, as well as Jesus revealing himself on the high mountain to three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, they heard a voice saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so he is the one who is demonstrating to us the fierce, pure understanding of what it means to be in a human body with temptations. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And I believe that. I've staked my faith on him that there's nothing that I have experienced in temptation that Jesus himself had not experienced. He has. He's walked where we walk. He's lived where we live. And we think Jesus doesn't know how hard it is to live as a Christian in my company. Oh, yes, he does. Jesus doesn't know how hard it is to live in a home where you're not one with your family. Oh, yes, he does. He's walked, he's lived where we live and walk. And so with his piercing eyes, or as flame of fire, it's not in judgment It is looking into your very heart and your thoughts to know, come to me. I understand. I understand your temptation and where you live. That is who Jesus Christ is. Those eyes like a flaming fire. Why? It speaks of purity. You know, when a person gets burnt badly on their skin, And you you think, oh, well, we need to cover it up with a bandage. You know what God has made about our skin? When it is burnt, it is as clean as it would ever get, or even more so than if you scrubbed it with soap. A burn is clean. It's a clean wound. And the best thing for it is to just keep it not closed up, but in the air because it is clean and it will heal itself. 
that's just a little thing that uh, I learned, but uh, I'm not a doctor. But John says in 1 John 4, 1 and 2, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And then 1 John 4.15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. That is the promises that we rest our case with Jesus, our elder brother, the one who has brought us to the Father. Jesus said, You are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. Understand that in your daily life this week. You are clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. You're free from that condemnation. And you walk in his life, his power. You are the people of God. You're his children. Walk in that knowledge and understanding. His feet are like burnished bronze. What does bronze speak of? Well, in the Old Testament, bronze was basically judgment. Spoke of judgment. And you might feel, well, when I go to church, I get under conviction. When I leave, I feel that that conviction is gone. But you know, one of the things about burnished bronze is like what we were just talking about. Burnished means this metal has taken the heat. Burnished bronze is highly fired copper and steel meshed together. It's already gone through the judgment and the firing. And Jesus' feet are like burnished bronze. The other thing that feet talks about is often the only machine that some of the Jewish families had for mashing grapes and all, when you bring a grape crop in from the fields, you put the grapes in this large container. How do you think they got the juices out of the grapes? With their feet. That's why I don't drink wine. No, that's the way many of the poor would stamp out the grapes and get the juice out of it. But Jesus' feet weren't dirty. Even though he walked on the earth. And Jesus was aware of dirty feet. What did he do with his disciples? He washed their feet. But Jesus' feet are burnished, fired, with intense heat. And his judgment on us is good, not bad. So when you feel a conviction in your heart of some sin that you have been involved in, either in thought or in action, think of Jesus' feet. He's squeezing you to get wine from you, that which is rich and has medicinal power to it. But his feet are clean. They're burnished, shining. Don't think of God's 
judgment as negative. See it as a precious thing he's doing in your life. You got it? I think this is a very important lesson for us to learn. Don't run away from him. Run to him. Embrace what he's doing in your life today. Daniel said, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz. His body also was like burl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Pictures of Jesus. Daniel and Revelation have a lot of these very same pictures. Why? Well, they both were written about the same person. And then he says, I know. I know your deeds, your love and faith and service and perseverance. Wow. These are good things. Thyatira, this little tiny group of Christians in the mountains, I know your deeds, your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Now that's good. That's real good. I wonder what their deeds were like in the beginning. Maybe it was really a rough start for that church in the mountains. We don't know. We don't know much about this small little church. We know that it was small because there really wasn't even a big population in that area. But he knows who they are and their deeds and they're getting better, greater than at first. May that be about us as well. Now here we go. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. We don't know the name of this woman. It certainly wasn't Lydia. But anyway, this woman Jezebel we know about. You can read about her in the Old Testament. She's probably the most evil and treacherous woman in the Bible. She was the daughter of the king of Tyre, the wife of King Ahab, who was the king of Israel. She promoted worship of Baal and had 500 prophets of Israel killed. She was powerful in her person while her Israeli husband was weak and cowardly. Katie and I don't have any problem with women in leadership. But we do know through experience that women, if God has given you a ministry, whether it's to children or in Bible studies or in the church, you need to recognize male headship. Did I already mention this? About 80% of the church in Japan is made up of women. Disgraceful. Against the women? No. Against the men. That we as men 
in this country, and even me as a pastor and a missionary, that there are not enough men in the Church of Japan. We have failed to bring men to Christ. And women have had to take the leadership and bless them for doing that. But when women are in leadership, men shrink back. It's a proven phenomena. Very, very important. Men, God is calling you to leadership in your family, in your community, in the office where you work. He's calling you. Jesus called his 12 disciples and women followed. Jesus sought out 12 men and many. There's implications that there were hundreds of women that also followed along. So that's not unusual. So let's be where God has placed us in our lives, following God's order in our families. Men, step up to the plate. Men, take your place in the family. Men, lead Bible studies. Men, it's your responsibility how the church goes. This church as well as the Church of Japan. Very important. And women, pray for your husbands. Pray for your leadership. Pray that they will take up the cause to follow Jesus Christ here in Japan. Very, very important. And God is patient. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. And where the church is coming, or where the world is going these days, we're in a very precarious position. Not so much here in Japan yet, but it's coming. But in North America, it's already there in terms of women out of order in the society and men shrinking back and not being men of courage, of honor. Our societies are coming apart. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to preach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him, the devil, to do his will. We're talking about repentance here. And God had desired that the leadership of Thyatira would repent. And apparently this woman in Thyatira did not repent. What is repentance? Where does repentance come from? Well, what this verse says, that God may grant them repentance. It's God who works in our hearts to bring us to a place of repentance, of recognizing we need him. We need a savior. Repentance, we might think of as being a negative word. Repentance is a positive word. It's like you're on the road to 
negativity. You're in trouble and you realize it, that you're in danger, you're in trouble, you're on the minus end of the scale and you realize you're wrong. You turn around and you're going positive, the opposite direction toward where God wants you to be. Repentance is a positive sense that we have in our Christian lives. If you sense conviction and that you're going the wrong way and that God is saying, careful, careful, beware, beware, it's time for you to repent. And repent basically means turn around. It's a 180 that you take in the opposite direction. That's what we need in the church today. And God's judgment will come. Behold, I throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Before we leave that word, great tribulation, many of you have probably read Revelation. You realize that there is going to come a great tribulation. Who is in trouble with the great tribulation? What's the great tribulation all about? It's about the church. It's the church that's going through the great tribulation. Why? Because the ones God loves, he tests. And that's what this is about. But why does he test us? To prove that his son, the son of God, is able to carry us through. And so that our faith is strong. Every time there's tribulation that comes to the church, this is proven in history, the church has grown stronger. We've got a good example right across the water from us here in China. And I hear that tribulation has stepped up again for the Chinese believers. And so God is using tribulation. But it's not his hating the church. He loves the church. And so he allows her to be tried. That's where the word tribulation comes from, being tried. Maybe that's what's wrong with the church here in Japan. We need trial. We need tribulation. And maybe you're avoiding it in your family that it's hard for you to be a single Christian in your family. Count that as an opportunity to really trust the Lord and believe him that your family will come to Christ. Not to get the tribulation over, but that they would be walking in favor with the Lord. Unless they repent of their deeds. And here we've got deeds mentioned several times. God is interested in our actions, our deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Good, good. I need conviction. I need God to put his finger in my life and say, you got to make this right. It's good for us to repent. It's good for us to go through trial. It refines us. It brings us into greater 
purity and honesty in our Christian lives. And then here's an encouraging word. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching of Jezebel, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, which implies Satan's deep things are that thick. This is not a lie. Satan has only one trick. Do you know what he is? What's a name for Satan? He's a liar. He's a liar. That was his only power that he had over Eve and Adam. He appealed to Eve's wanting this good-looking fruit. But the clincher was, Did God really say? The beginning of a lie. Putting doubt. God knows that when you eat this, you will be like him. Downright lie. His strategy, his plans are that thick. Whereas the promises of God, wow, we've got a whole book full of the promises of God. That's who we worship, that's who we follow, that's who we trust. The God of heaven. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so then Jesus says to Thyatira, I place no other burden on you that you don't fall in with these people in the church. And then he says, nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And God is coming with Jesus Christ, coming here to judge the earth. And we, his people, the church, have an opportunity to usher in our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at the rest of Revelation as we go along, this message is going to be over and over repeated. We've just gotten started, folks. He who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end. Whose deeds? Jesus' deeds until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. Wow, that's a pretty big, heavy thing, but significant. And he shall rule them with an iron rod as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. He who is he? Men. He means those who he has put in place in rulership. To him, I will give authority, the one who overcomes. To him, you'll rule with an iron rod. Let me give you just one little illustration here of what this means. This rod, this iron rod, and the potter breaking to pieces. What does that mean? A potter, a potter doesn't break his pottery, does he? Have you ever worked with a potter? Okay, I got it up on all of you here. I did. You ever heard of Mashko Yaki? It's up in Tochigikin. It was about 20 or 30 minutes drive from where we planted our second church. And a French guy had come to Mashko 
to learn how to do pottery. I won't go into all the details, but he came to the Lord. We baptized him. And he invited me one night. He said, Ron, I'm going to be doing a firing tonight. I thought he was going to fire me, but no, he said, I'm doing a firing tonight. Would you want to come with me and spend the night at my kiln? I said, oh, I'd love to. Well, that was a mistake. (laughs) So I got there in the evening, and uh, he had a whole pile of firewood that he had chopped. And he had a, I think it's called an incline kiln, which goes up the hill, and it is a clay kiln that he had built. And he built the fire down at the bottom, and then he puts the pottery inside that has not been hardened. He's already formed it. And he spent maybe a month or two putting this pottery together. And it's still very soft. But he set it on shelves going up this hill in this big, huge oven, which was probably from here to the wall there going up inclined. And we built the fire in the bottom. And the heat would rise and would heat up and harden the uh, pottery. And so we worked all night just keeping the fire going. And then we let it sit there for a couple of days or so. And then he called me up and I went back there and we took the pottery out of the kiln. It was hard and was ready to be uh, packed up and sent out to the store. But he said, uh, oh, this one has a blemish. And so he put it over here. Oh, this is good. This is a good one. He put it down and put it very carefully in a box. And so he was showing me what is good and what's bad so that I didn't put any bad ones in the good box. Well, I said, well, what are you going to do with this box that they're not good? Because to me, it looked like it was good pottery. He did not want anyone to have that pottery. He was very careful about that box. You know why? His reputation was at stake. If they knew that he had let someone have that pottery, they say, well, he's not a very good potter. And so he took, I don't know what kind of a rod it was or whatever, but he smashed all of that pottery. Would not let anybody have it. That's what this is talking about. And that's what God is doing in our lives. He's wanting a good vessel that will bring honor and glory to himself because he's the potter. And he cares how we look. He cares about us. And I will give him the morning star. Anybody know what the morning star is? There's two morning stars. Did you know that? There is one that is called Venus. And you've probably seen it early in the morning. And there it sits before the sun rises. Called Venus. Is Venus a star? It's a planet. Okay, there's another one that's the true star. Which one is that? Sirius, Sirius is a star. So don't get mixed up and say, well, that's the morning star. 
when it's not twinkling, it's just a light up there. That's not the true star. That's not the true morning star. Jesus is called the bright and morning star. Do you know what Satan is called or was called? He was the morning star, not the bright and morning star. Let's just thank the Lord. Father, we thank you for your message. We thank you for all that we can dig out and even much more. And I missed so much this morning, but your word is powerful and sharp and able to make us pure and clean and walking uprightly and leading us and teaching us and strengthening us. We thank you for this book. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.